0: Thanks for being here. I'm Randall, one of the pastors. It's my privilege to be able to finish out our series in Titus. If you're visiting or new, we've been in the book of Titus. Today we will be in chapter 3. And let me just say, hey, I hope that you've had a wonderful weekend. I hope that you have a wonderful day. I hope that you eat a lot of Kona ice. Um, And I hope that tomorrow on the 4th you celebrate because we still live in the greatest country in the world, guys. We really do. Um, you say, what do I base that on? I I don't base that on, uh, some complex that we're better than anyone else. I base that on the fact that today we can lift our hands, we can worship, we can praise, we can come here, the word of God still preached, the gospel preached, uh, unadulterated. Like we, we just, we just, we're blessed, right? We're blessed. I think sometimes we forget that. And we take that for granted. And so I just want to say happy 4th. Look, somebody, um, somebody let me borrow some shoes. You guys know me. I got some hey dudes, some American flag hey dudes just for you uh, this morning. And uh, so anyway, happy 4th. Um, I'm more thankful today than anything, though, <clears throat> for uh, freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ, right? The fact that Jesus Christ came and, and, and lived a perfect sinless life and he died on a cross. And three days later, he rose again from the dead and promises that anyone who comes to him and believes in him, he will give eternal life. And that is serious freedom, right? So, freedom in Christ. Look, if you'll turn to Titus 3, we'll just jump right in this morning. Uh, Just to recap chapter 1 of Titus, we we learned that the word that would probably sum up the whole book of Titus would be the word teach. You guys remember saying the word teach with me. And then last week, Pastor Matt did a great job in chapter 2 and he taught us this word train. And the idea that we train, not try. So chapter one, hey, we need spiritual leadership, we need to be taught, we need to learn. Chapter two, we need to be trained, we need people who, remember, uh, older men training younger men and older women uh, training younger women and modeling what it looks like to live our life for Jesus. And then we come to chapter three today, and it's all about what we're going to do with all of that. Can you just say with me on a count of three, do good work. One, two, three, do good work. So in Titus 2.15, the first part of that verse, Paul tells Titus, you must teach these things and encourage the believers to do them. We must learn the word of God. What good is learning if we don't submit to what we've been taught? I think. That guys are the worst when we go to put something together, we get the instruction manual, we pull it out, we think about it, we might think about it again, and then we just, we just toss that thing, right? And then we go to start putting something together, and then we build it, and then there's extra nuts and bolts left, and we're going, oh, I wonder what these are for. Right? And so, and I'm not talking about the extra, uh, you know, pack they give you with the extra resources. I'm talking about these were supposed to be part of the original design, right? Uh, Men, we're great at just throwing the instruction manual to the side and trying to do it on our own. And I will say, if you buy furniture from Ikea, that might be a good idea. Anyway, sorry, Ikea. Uh, But all other furniture we should probably follow the instruction manual. So Paul and Titus, just to catch you up, is given a blueprint for what it looks like to be healthy as a believer and what it looks like to have a healthy church. And I remember in chapter one, talking to you guys about how easy it is to preach and how easy it is to tell someone what to do and how entirely different it is to live that out. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? I remember Pastor Matt in his sermon uh, talking about how easy it is if you're a parent. Uh, we must be careful about this. But how easy it is to say do as I say and not as I do. Right? That's not the way we want to model our lives after Christ, because after all, talk is, say it with me, cheap. Talk is cheap. In the book of James, chapter 2, verse 14 to 17, he says in verse 14, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. And you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? What good does that do? Verse 17, half-brother of Jesus says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and Useless. And so that brings us to Titus chapter 3 as we close out this series. And in in chapter 3, we're going to hear this theme of be good, do good, do good work. So we we learn, and then we train, and then we do. So let's jump into Titus 3 and verse 1. He says, Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. Verse 2, they must not slander anyone and and they must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. So again, Paul in writing the blueprint to you and I as believers and to the church as a whole, he's saying, hey, we're supposed to submit to the government. He's saying, hey... We should be obedient. Obedient to who? Obedient to God. Always ready to do what is good. He, he, Verse 2, he says, hey, we shouldn't be out here running our mouths, talking about people, putting people down, arguing with people, hating people. Instead, we should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. You see, some of us, we hear that word government and we cringe. Others perk up when you hear the word government and you go, let's go. You want to debate. Depends on how how you're wired, I guess. Others hear that word submit and turn 50 shades of blue, I call it. Because let's face it, we live in a culture and a society where we've kind of produced a world where no one wants anyone to tell them what to do. And that's dangerous, church especially dangerous for us as a church collectively. So Paul, he's just, he's just following the steps of his Savior when he's, when he's teaching Titus what to do on the island of Crete to produce healthy believers and a healthy church. He's just following in the footsteps of our Savior. Are you ready? In verse 1, he's just repeating what Jesus said. He says, hey, let's follow the blueprint. Let's be relevant to the world around us. Let me just tell you, it's quite simple. He says, hey, obey the government. Put your seatbelt on. Don't give the cop a hard time. Adhere to the laws of the land. In so much as that they don't demand you to betray the statues of the most high God. Right? Do do." Do according to the law, be a good citizen, pay your taxes, and I could just go on and on and on and just rallying off like, like you know what I'm saying, like how to be a, a, a healthy, productive citizen where God has placed you in whatever country and whatever part of the world you're in, right? Because he wasn't in America when he wrote these words. Have you thought about that anytime lately in your life? Paul was not in America. America did not exist. How interesting is that? Submit to the government. All right. He moves on. He quickly moves on. In the same verse, in the same breath, Titus says, be obedient. Always ready to do good. Because, see, there's something at stake. You remember this whole series we've talked about how people see you. People are looking at you. People are watching your life. People are looking through the church. They want to see something different. And what that difference needs to be is it needs to be Jesus is visible in and through our life. So in the same breath, he transitions from, hey, Render to Caesar what's Caesar and obey the government and and, 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 and be subject to, to the laws of the land. But then he goes, hey, but be obedient. It's implied here. Be obedient to who? Be obedient to God. Always ready to bring him honor and glory. Every decision you make, you should run through the filter of, will this be pleasing to the Lord? Or will this be displeasing to the Lord? That's how you rock it out, church. That's how you make decisions that always bring honor and glory to God. Adopting that kind of filter in your life. Remember what Paul said when he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ? What a bold statement, right? But we should want to live our lives in such a way that if others are following us, they're looking more and more like Jesus. Paul's thinking about Jesus' example when he writes words like this to people like Timothy and Titus. You see, our Savior, he came to earth. He was perfect. And he subjected himself to being a bondservant and a servant to others, right? And he did not consider equality with God, a thing to be grasped, guys. You go, man, what are you talking about, Pastor Randall? I'm talking about Philippians chapter 2. Look it up. Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, for you and for me. Is that not incredible that we have a Savior who loves us that much, a God who loves us That much, And so when Paul's saying all of these things that are part of the blueprint of being a healthy believer in church, he's thinking about things like he wrote to the church at Colossae in chapter 3, verse 23 of Colossians. He says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the who? For the Lord. Let's try that again. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. You know, sometimes we're in tough situations in our life and we might not like our boss or we might not like the people we report to or maybe you're your own boss and you don't like you half the time when you wake up and look in the mirror. Well, remember, you don't work for you. You work for the Lord. You don't work for that boss. You work for the, and you do your best for the Lord. You bring him honor and glory in your life. That is what this blueprint is all about. But see, the world is full of distractions. Can I get a witness on that? Is the world full of distractions? Absolutely. We've got everything from, um, you know, the commercials, uh, the radio, the TV, uh, the news. Uh, just I could just keep going on and on and on. And what happens if we're not careful is we get honed in on something, we get focused on something, and when we put our focus on these certain things, they take us away from the mission of God, and they take us away from what God would have us do on a daily basis. Matthew 6.33 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And so when we follow the Lord's blueprint for our life, It helps us to be ready to deal with those stressors and those distractions. And I promise you, those stressors and those distractions are not going anywhere. They're going to be around as long as we have breath. So distractions from the blueprint of being a healthy church. In Titus 3, Paul brings out a few of these that we really need to take note of as a church. So everybody, get your yawns out. Get your coughs out. Whatever you gotta do, listen closely. If you're taking notes, here's here's a good spot, okay? Don't let the enemy distract you in these ways. Number one. Titus 3:3. Well, the first point is: don't let the enemy distract you by being overtaken by lust, pleasures, envy, evil, and hate. That's a list, isn't it, church? We get distracted. And we get off mission and we get derailed when we start to be consumed by lust and pleasures and envy, being envious of others. That might be a big one for Fishers and Hamilton County. All of these, this idea of how easy it is to just live according to the flesh and everything that we want and everything that we see and just be overtaken right, by those fleshly desires. And what that will do is that will derail us. Notice in Titus 3.3, 3, he says, once we, talking to believers, once. See, now that we're in Christ, we're supposed to be modeling something different. Verse three, Titus 3.3, 3, once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy, evil and envy, And we hated each other. That's not God's will for how we should live our life. Now, that doesn't mean that any one of us at any point in time might not struggle with one of these things that I just pointed out by way of distraction. But what it means is we need to be on guard and we need to be ready to do the right thing and to deal with that and not be overcome by that. Okay? Second distraction that he points out is in Titus 3, 9 and 10, the second one is being slanderous, being a part of foolish discussions, and involved in quarrels. Now, wow. I, you know, Pastor Matt probably talked about this, but I just can't help but think of like Facebook wars, right? It's so easy to get on social media and say how you feel. And come at somebody and while you hide in your living room or wherever you're at, you know, um, something you would never say to someone in their face, but boom, Facebook, <laughs> here we go, right? We get into fights and quarrels, and uh, if we're not careful, you know, we slander people or we, we do things and, and we think we're getting away with it, but everybody really knows what we're doing, especially when we go do that on social media. Notice in Titus 3, 9 and 10. What it says, do not get involved in foolish discussions and spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. Let me just stop right there and let me just explain to you that verse 9 was written a couple thousand years ago to Titus, who was establishing a healthy church on an island called Crete. It is still applicable to us today. You and I are not in this room fighting Jewish laws but guess what you and I are in this room and we're a part of, we're a part of a country where there's a lot of controversy over what? Laws. It's still applicable today, even in a spiritual sense that like if we allow ourselves to be consumed around discussions and who's right and who's wrong and, in spiritual pedigrees and in quarrels about laws and all of these kinds of things, if we're not, careful, this will become a huge distraction. And guess what ends up happening? You end up not thinking about Jesus anytime lately. You end up consumed about whether you're right and the other person's wrong or they're wrong and you're right and it just consumes you. And it takes you away. If we're not careful, it'll take all of us away from the mission. He says these things are useless And a waste of time. Verse 10, if people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. I want to take you back to chapter one. And we talked about how being a spiritual elder or a pastor is not for the faint of heart. Right? Cowards need not apply. You remember that statement? Well, that's why. Because in church life, we're supposed to be living our lives in such a way that we're, we're about the great commission and the great commandment of God. And as spiritual leadership in the life of a church, if things come in and try to derail us from the mission... We need to be ready to fight and make sure that those things don't derail us from the mission. We have too much to do for Jesus, and we don't have enough time to waste. Right, church? And so that's really important for everybody to understand. These two distractions, being overtaken by lust and fleshly desires, and number two, being a part of discussions and quarrels that go on and on, and everyone wants to be right. And at the, the end of the day, what are we doing to show people Jesus? So, when we've already submitted to the teaching of God's word, we end up having what I call proper reflexes. So, if we look, if we look in verse one of Titus three, and you see that word, you see that word. It says in Titus three. Uh, let me look here. Um, Remind the believers to submit to the government's officers. They should be obedient. When we look at that word, obedient, it has the connotation. Of having a reflex, how many of you have ever been to the doctor and he hit you on the knee with the little whatever that thing's called um, i don 't know anyway, I was going to ask Tom over there, but uh, and then your, your your leg responds right your, your leg kicks out, and you have this reflex right well here 's what 's cool when you submit yourself to the authority and to the teaching of God's word, and you love it and you put it inside of your heart and your mind and it's a part of your life and you're obedient to what God desires for your life through the teaching of his word, if that becomes a part of who you are, then you end up with these reflexes that happen involuntary because it becomes a part of who you are. So when distractions come and temptations come and troubles come your way because you're standing on the teaching of the word of God, you can get to the point in your life where you know this so much and you love this so much that there's an involuntary reaction that happens and you don't even know what's happening, but you're doing the right thing because you live according to his word. Isn't that incredible, church? I want that in my own life, and I pray for that in your life. So don't be discouraged. Realize that that's something that we strive for. So what do we do with God's blueprint in closing the series out? We teach, we train, and we do. We exercise obedience to God's word. In these three points, and we're done for today. Number one, always being ready to do good. Always being ready to do good. Number two, being totally committed to do good. And number three, knowing what is good. Knowing what is good. So let's look at number one, always being ready to do good. He said they should be obedient to who? To God. Always ready to do what? is good. And we've just talked about how this word obedience carries the connotation of a reflex. Another word would be subordinate. It's the idea that we live under subjection to the word of God, believing that He knows what is best for us above and beyond what we think what is best for ourselves. Does that make sense? And so being always being ready and prepared to do good. So, so, so the the idea of, of preparation when I'm talking about being ready to do what is good is that we have been taught, in, like in chapter one, we've been taught and we've paid attention to what we've learned and then we've been trained, it's been modeled for us and now we're prepared and we're ready to go do likewise, right? This is why I always say in the series, talk is cheap. What good is it? If you're telling someone what to do, but then you're doing the opposite and you're supposed to be their trainer. Have you ever had a job where you're trying to, you're trying to uh, follow someone or someone's been assigned to teach you something or show you something and, and it's just not working because they're not committed to their part of teaching you and properly training you on what it looks like to do a good job. That is a frustrating place to be, right? And that brings us to number two. What do we do with God's blueprint? How how can we be a healthy church by being totally committed to doing good? So first of all, we learn it and we're taught it. It has to be modeled to us. It's important that we pay attention, right? Right? Just like I was talking about earlier, we throw the instruction book to the side, and then what happens? We miss things along the way, and it's not complete. God wants his church to be complete, and so part of that is being totally committed to doing good. Look at Titus 3.8. This is a trustworthy saying. I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God's will devote themselves to doing good. This is where I think of what Pastor Matt taught. We train. We don't, we don't try. We don't live our life according to our feelings and, well, I feel like doing good today and I feel like doing something to help someone else today or I don't feel good today and I don't feel like helping someone else today. That's not how a believer should live their life. A believer should live their life totally devoted and committed To doing what is good and to doing the work of the Lord. It's not based on our feelings. It's not based on uh, if we're good enough or if we feel good enough. It's based on, hey, he's worthy of this. He deserves this. And this should be a part of who we are and what we're becoming as a healthy believer and healthy church. That brings us to number three, knowing what is good. Titus 3.14 says this. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. There is scripture all throughout the 66 books of the Bible, starting with the creation story in Genesis that help us to understand what it looks like to do good, what it looks like to do good. I can think of stories going all the way back to Cain and Abel, when Abel brought his sacrifice and offering to the Lord and Abel brings his sacrifice and offering to the Lord and, you know, Cain ends up upset and God loved him so much and he loves us so much that he shows up in his life. He also shows up in our life, even when we're discouraged and he's always trying to speak to us and lead us. And he shows up in in Cain's life and he tells him what? Hey, man, why are you so downcast? Hey, just turn it around. Just turn it around and do what is right. Just turn it around and do what is right. God is a God of second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh, uh, uh, right, right, uh, 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 opportunities and chances, and he just loves us so much. And so we, we, we see in scripture the idea that what it means to do good, it's just all throughout there. We think of the Good Samaritan, right? Uh, we, we, I can just go on and on about examples, but listen to what some other scriptures say about what it means to do good we know in Titus 3:14 it says by meeting the urgent needs of others so we could just stop right there and i could just ask everyone in the church this morning what are you doing if you're online what are you doing to show the world Jesus. When have you met an urgent need in someone else's life lately? Sobering, right? Don't be mad at me, I'm just the messenger, okay? James 2 8 says this Yes, indeed, it is good. When you obey the royal law as found in scriptures, plural, love your neighbor as yourself. When is the last time you loved your neighbor well or paid attention to what might be going on around you in their lives? What I love about today's teaching is none of us get to get away with feeling like we're excused from those questions. From the youngest person, teenager, in this room, to the oldest person who's retired in this room. Look at what Micah 6.8 says. Old people, the Lord has told you what is good. And that is what he requires of you to do what is right to love mercy and to walk humbly with your god everybody everybody do this with me look to your neighbor and say do good look to your neighbor to the left the right and say do good do good right so y'all think we were going to live on a, uh, y'all think we was gonna leave on a low note, like, oh, man, he is beating us up today. No, I want to leave on a high note. I want to leave, leave so pumped up and so ready to go do good that we all go do good today for the glory of Jesus Christ, right? That you're mindful today when you're standing in the ice cream line that maybe you can buy somebody's ice cream that looks down and out. I don't know. I can come up with a bunch of random stuff. Let's go do good, church, and do it in the name of Jesus and do it with the hopes and desires that we might be able to tell them about Jesus. If you just stand with me in closing, church. Let's stand. There's a couple things that I just want to share with you on the screen. If you'll look there, uh, our oikos principal here at Hamilton Hills Church Uh, Our oikos principle is our philosophy that we we just want to reach the world for Jesus. Starting right here at home, we want to reach our neighbors. You say, how can I do good? Look to your neighbor and meet a need. You, You say, how can I do good? Look to your extended family. Who's hurting? Who's going through something? You say, how can I do good? Look to your coworkers. Who needs to know about Jesus and who needs your love? I just prayed with one of our sisters at Hamilton Hills Church who this weekend is spending time with a dear friend who's going through a really hard time with her health. And she's going, would you just pray with me? I just want so desperately to just be able to share Jesus with my friend. It's the most important thing that I know I can do for her, right? Uh, A a friend. uh, Other people. People you don't even know, the the, the waitress today when you go out to eat, your schoolmate, guys, young people, the people you go to school with. This is where you can start to do good, to be intentional about what do I, what am I doing to represent and model Jesus in my world? Uh, We have a, a unique ministry here called Fam. You've heard us talk about our family advocate ministry. We have ministered to over 100 families in eight months, helping over 100 kids, church. Can we give... Yeah, that's not a bragging thing. Look, look I, wish, I wish that I could put the picture up for you today. Uh, the last delivery we made just a weekend ago uh, was to a family um, in Indianapolis who uh, they have six children... And not one children, not one of the the children had a bed, a pillow, or anything to rest their head on. Nothing. We go in, right, a group of six guys from the church. We build the bunk beds so that each of the six kids have somewhere to sleep. And I wish I could show you the picture, but I don't have permission. But one of the little girls jumps up. Uh, She jumps up on the top bunk of one of these bunk beds and she has sunglasses on and she looks at me and she goes, I'm going to bed tonight and I'm never waking up again. (laughs) She was so excited. That was an urgent need. Titus 3.14, that was an urgent need in that family's life. And don't you know that the man of that situation was downstairs. And when I got finished building one of the bunk beds, I came down and three of our men were down there with this brother named Jeff. And he's standing there leaning against the wall and they're sharing Jesus with him. And he's going, man, I know I need God in my life. And we're praying with him, and we're joining hands, and it was amazing. And we're not done yet, right? We're just getting started, and that's part of what you we do as a church. That's part of what, when you give, you're helping us do as a church, right? I, those are the only two examples I have time to share with you this morning, but we're just getting started and you're a part of that and so just know that when we leave out of here today what are we going to go do church one two three we're going to go do what do good for the glory of God now I got one thing I got to say and then they're going to make me be quiet all right all right here we go I just want to clarify when God our Savior this is Titus 3 again when he saved us not because of the righteous things we have done But because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. I just don't want anyone leave confused this morning that our works get us into heaven. I want everyone to understand when we leave this morning that Jesus is the only way that we get to heaven and he loves you and he's done everything that needs to be done so that you can be in heaven one day. And if you don't know him, I just want uh, to invite you to just close our eyes and bow our hands. I just want to invite you in this moment. If you're online listening, just want to invite you in this moment. You say, I don't know Jesus pastor, but I know I need him. I I believe, I've heard about what he did and coming and living a sinless, perfect life and giving his life on the cross and, uh, and, and coming back uh, to life, raising from the dead. And, 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 I, and I, I am compelled, I believe that in my heart and I don't know what to do. I just invite you, if you're here in person you don't know Jesus personally or you're online, I will just invite you to pray. Pray these words, not to me, Pray these words to the God who loves you and sees you right where you are and just pray this. Say, Heavenly Father, I stand in need of a Savior. I thank you for what Jesus did for me. I acknowledge you, God, and I want you to be a part of my life, and I accept Jesus into my heart and into my life as my personal Lord and Savior, asking and confessing my sins, would you please forgive me? Would you save me? Would you give me this new life? And would you teach me what it means to walk according to your ways? In Jesus' name, amen.